Aalto University Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of Cloud Reachers. Um, my name is Mika, and my co-host Tommy is here as well. Hi. And we have a wonderful episode today. So we are joined by uh, Sam Poskit from uh, University of Reading, UK. And we'll be talking about um, a paper that um, he recently wrote with his uh, co-authors. And let me start before giving the word to Sam. So... The, the title of the paper is Applying Pedagogical Theories to Understand Learning in Participatory Scenario Planning, um, published this year in Futures. And the authors are Sam Poskit, Kerry-Ann Whalen, Andrew Ainsley. Um, Sam, thank you so much and welcome to the uh, show. That's okay. Thank you for having me. Could you, um, before we kind of take a deep dive in, into the paper. And congrats, by the way, on, on getting it published. It's an absolutely wonderful piece. Um, could you give like a brief introduction of, of yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Sam Poskett. I'm from, I'm currently working at the University of Reading in the United Kingdom. And I'm, I'm a postdoc. I've been a postdoc here for about, about three years. And yeah, I, I work, I specialize in participatory methodologies, especially for learning and decision making. And this paper comes out of my PhD, which I also did at the University of Reading. Uh, and that was looking at looking at something called participatory scenario planning, which is a method of helping people together in groups to think about the future, usually around, usually centered around a specific issue, like uh, the futures of, of food security under climate change, or the future of a particular, the management of a particular ecosystem. And I focused specifically on, on learning, how, how that participatory scenario planning approach, how that can help learning, and also on I'm also very interested in power imbalances and how they affect participatory processes as well. So yeah, that's 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 me really at the moment. <laughs> wow! Um, and about the research now, um, you mentioned uh, already um, participatory participatory learning. Um, and planning, but uh, what made you start this research and uh, that ended up this in this paper? Sure. So I I first came across scenario planning when I was doing my my masters a few years ago, and I wanted I actually used it as a research methodology because I wanted to explore how farmers in Zambia perceived their own futures under climate change. And I used it, but in a very arbitrary way. And after that, I sort of thought, 
this is a really interesting method and I'm sure that it must be very useful in many in many ways but also challenging in the sense that it's quite an abstract thing for some people to think about the future and visualize how that future might look. And so that led me on to doing a PhD, looking at scenario planning and its uses and benefits specifically related to uh, tackling global, global environmental and sustainable development challenges. And during the course of that PhD, one of the things that really emerged strongly is that there's an assumption, a common assumption about scenario planning helping people to learn. So by bringing together different people with different knowledges and different interests and assumptions about the future, then there's this assumption that doing so can help those people to learn something, learn from each other, learn a little bit about the challenges that they are trying to address and the social and ecological systems in which they are in which they are operating but although that learning mm -hmm. is widely is widely acknowledged there's it i found that it was not well understood i think probably just because people hadn't had the bandwidth the or the, the capacity to to explore that, explore that learning in great detail. So this paper comes out of a part of my PhD, which was really around understanding how participatory scenario planning can facilitate learning or can help encourage learning, and specifically linking that learning process with cognitive learning theories, psychological, pedagogical, theories about learning um, so yeah that's that's where it came from mm -hmm. thank you um you already mentioned about it but um just to clarify why why is it important why is it important to understand about futures uh, and uh, through this method through psps i think because one reason is that the futures that we are all facing are incredibly uncertain and they are there are these huge global challenges complex challenges related to uh, things like climate change biodiversity loss environmental destruction and prevailing social inequalities and it's very difficult to see it's very difficult to see a way in which we can address or tackle those those challenges as as a society at kind of a very society at a macro level but also at micro levels as well very local and community levels mm -hmm. and scenario planning is often used on the assumption that it can help groups of people to to at least learn a little bit more about the challenges that they are facing and the, the systems that they are working within. So what they are constrained by, what opportunities there might be for them. And also in so doing, in so doing, in so doing the rationale is that people can, 
people can learn something from each other. So different people have different perspectives and different different knowledges and different interests with regards to the future and indeed the present system. And so because of that, because of that scenario planning has become quite pro prolific in research and also practice uh, around around addressing these kinds of global challenges. So it is quite important then to understand, first, first of all, to confirm that that scenario planning really can help to induce or facilitate these learning processes, but also to, to understand how that learning occurs so that people can, people can, people who want to design scenario planning processes in the future can do so in a way that maximizes these benefits for learning. Uh, super interesting. You mentioned about learning from each other. So how was the writing process like uh, compared to, for example, uh, to your PhD? Sure. So it was, so the two, the two other authors were my very capable PhD supervisors. And so it was the relation, the relationship with them was not too difficult because we already had been working together for three years on my PhD. And so that was, that was fairly smooth. I think the, the most challenging thing, the most challenging thing really was taking, taking content from a PhD thesis, which is obviously a huge document of, of around 200 pages and getting that or taking aspects of that and putting it into a fairly concise paper that is useful and punches 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 hard enough that people are going to notice it but it was also it was also rewarding in some senses as well to know that a part of my phd that i'm that i'm fairly proud of or that i think i did that i think that I think I wrote fairly well is now is now out there for for people to learn to learn about themselves. Hmm. Thank thanks, Simon. Like maybe if you don't mind, kind of I would be kind of interesting, kind of picking up from here and like kind of is is there something or like I mean many things i mean i can imagine that you know you are excited about many things with regards to this um this paper but is there something mm. can, can you highlight something in particular that you would like the readers for example to, to kind of see what you are excited about yeah i mean i i think that i think there are two there are two things really one is one is that this paper provides some level of justification for for participatory processes of knowledge exchange so bringing together people with with mm. different knowledges and with different perspectives and incorporating those different views and different knowledges in a in a in a participatory way i think it gives evidence that 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 those kinds of processes can can lead to can lead to learning 
which I think is something very valuable because there are so many there are so many people who are who write who write in things related to participation and knowledge exchange and co-production and co-design into into research proposals and into into practical practical interventions and that's and that's 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 great but often often they i think there is a tendency for people to do that because these things are buzzwords and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that but i think the fact that that this paper provides some justification provides some justification for these processes actually resulting in learning i think is quite powerful because it gives it gives some background so it's not just about it's not just about doing participation or doing knowledge exchange or whatever you want to call it because it's popular but it's doing it because there is a there is a clear rationale clear evidence for doing it and i think the second thing the second thing that i found exciting about doing this research and doing this paper and i i remember this is quite nerdy but i remember feeling quite excited when i actually mm -hmm. uh, conceptualized this and wrote it into my into my thesis while i was doing my phd is the the role that creativity and imagination and play in in participatory processes specifically in participatory scenario planning and the role that that can have in helping people to to explore the assumptions explore their own assumptions uh, explore the assumptions and ideas of others and to explore the challenges and learn about the the challenges and potential opportunities that they are facing yeah, so when when talking about participatory scenario planning, would you say that you know there is like an optimal or optimum uh, length for them? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. And in so in my in my research in my PhD, I looked at or I I attended two case study participatory scenario planning processes. Mm. And one of them, without without naming without naming anything, one of them was very. One of them was very short, and was quite last, quite last minute. Or the organization was quite last minute and haphazard. Yeah, uh, and also relatively underfunded. Whereas the other the other one was quite well funded and was very very well organized and took place over a much longer period of time there are in, in my in my thesis though i found that i found that i found some evidence that the learning in the in the first workshop so the one that was much shorter was was less than that in the in the second workshop and that's a it's a bit tricky to to quantify that because I, I guess how how do you how do how do you measure amounts of of learning? Mm. But certainly the certainly the interactions and the 
the reflections of the participants were seemed seemed as though they had seemed as though they had got more out of it from a learning perspective than in the than in the first workshop and i guess to give an indication of that amount of time the first one was about a day a day and three quarters whereas the second one was more like four four days however i would also i'd also qualify that by saying i think it depends on the I think it depends on the aim of the process or the workshop that people are people are going through, and uh, in in a lot of the work that I reviewed and the the interviews that I had with practitioners of PSP, mm. one of the things one of the things that came out is that if you want if you want to do scenario planning, that is going to really it, influence policy are going to be in, in, integrated into policy frameworks or decision making then that often requires a, a long process a long and iterative process that can take place over say months or months or even longer rather than rather than just a standalone workshop but if you're just looking at it from from a learning perspective of course the more that the more that you do or the longer that a process is or the more processes that you do the hopefully the mm. the more your potential for learning is but also you can achieve if, if you're just looking for people to have a kind of spark then that can that can be that can be achieved i think through a workshop of around a few days if that makes sense mm. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. And sorry, and of course, like that. I mean, as you mentioned, like you know, there's no really kind of silver bullet, if you will, like to defining optimal length, right? Um, but what I really found interesting um, in the paper is like when you talk about this um, point of focus for discussions, and there's like a massive list, like like in a table format, right? Um, and I had this one question, yeah, and I was wondering, and maybe this is also a broad question, so, you know, please take it as narrowly or as broadly as you want, but, like, would you categorize those point of focus um, elements in some way? And then a follow-up, um, are they, do they differ in their importance or, or impact along the PSP process? Sure. I think, I mean, that's not that's not something I. That's a very interesting question, but it's not something I I ever really gave much thought to during the during the research. Mm. But I can, if I if I if I were to speak to your your question, then there are there are many different there are many different types of of points of focus that can be. Uh, that can be incorporated into a scenario planning process. And I think that the, to speak yeah. to the second question as well, the effectiveness of them, I think really depends on the aim of the process. So if, if one is trying to do a, a scenario planning process that identifies, uh, identifies 
you know, practical actions that could be integrated into a, a policy framework that's being developed for the next five years, for example, then, mm. then points, uh, points of points of discussion or activities that help to test those, help to look at those actions, and then hypothetically test them in different future scenarios or, or under different future conditions is probably going to be quite useful mm. because the idea then is that, that that such activities can help to make help to make those actions stronger or more robust or more adaptable as as they are developed and potentially implemented in the future whereas if you're Hmm. looking at a process or looking at doing a process that is just designed to help people explore in a very explorative and imaginative way how the future how the future might turn out or how one would like the future to to turn out then that process of testing specific actions may not be may not be quite so helpful and so in those kinds of cases, you might want mm. tools like mm. just, just thinking off the top of my head, there's an activity called Futures Wheels, which helps people to think about the implications of, of different different potential conditions in the future. There are also there's also there's also this process called Three Horizons, which helps people to helps people to think about how a desirable future may be may be reached or may be achieved and so those yeah, kinds of processes yeah. might help people to to learn learn more about the systems that they're operating in and the ways that those systems could develop over time so i think in in some i would say those are two very high level categorizations uh, and the activities or the points of focus that get into integrated within scenarios processes will or the usefulness of them will really depend upon what the overall aim and objective of the of the process is yeah that's that exactly like that's super interesting and i think that kind of echoes with basically anyone who is running any kind of participatory or co-design workshops because like quite often we don't really yeah we don't really pay enough attention to like how do we structure the process and how do we kind of find a balance between um, structure and then letting people actually kind of broaden their horizon right yeah it's it's a really tricky it's a really tricky one and I guess just just to say a little bit about what what I do what I do now is that I work on. I work on a I, I I work on training training intermediaries that work with farmers in in developing countries and the, the global mm. south, uh, and this this particular process that I train people in is very participatory in the sense that it focuses it focuses very much on individual decision making and empowering individuals to use information. 
to make their own decisions for their own individual contexts. Yeah. So it's very participatory in that yeah. sense, but it's but to achieve that, it's a very very structured process, and there's, I'd argue, very little room for. Well, there's some there's some room for creativity within that, but it's it's certainly not it's certainly not a particularly open process. Mm, mm. And I think, like you know, like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just find this like super fascinating and, and especially what you also talk about in the paper mm. that at least for me connects really beautifully with this um with this uh, structures. So you talk about respectful ways mm. um, of questioning assumptions. And mm. I don't I don't know if you can expand a bit on that um for us or if you have any kind of anecdotes or examples. I don't really I don't really have any specific examples on that but i think the speaking at speak i think the rationale or the rationale that i found mm. people often have for using scenarios in this way as in using using narratives of the future as respectful ways to question assumptions the rationale there is that because because scenarios are because it because one is thinking about a future that hasn't happened yet and that may be that may be a long time in the future sometimes these things focus on futures that are 30 40 50 years ahead ahead of where we are now that 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 level of detachment that level of detachment the assumption goes mm. is that that can that level of detachment can help remove tensions and tensions and problems and conflicts in in the present now i i not i didn't talk about it so much in this paper but in my thesis i was actually a little bit critical of of this in the sense that the future the future itself is not neutral and different mm. people's different people there are always going to be winners and losers yeah. in the future regardless of what regardless of which which direction or what actions we take and mm. i think that that's something that that's something that's a little bit of a shortfall yeah. with participatory scenario planning is that is is this assumption that the future is a the future is a space or imagining the future is a space in which people are somehow free from the power imbalances and conflicts that they, that they are facing now but i think that's i think that's a little bit naive and and it doesn't adequately account for for those same power imbalances that people are, uh, are experiencing now, and that can that can indeed influence can indeed influence the creation of scenarios in a participatory workshop, because as with any as with any <clears throat> participatory process, there are always there are always people whose mm. interests become more represented 
than than others, or people who who push their own interests more than more than others. And the same is true in scenario planning, and the same can then be reflected in yeah. scenario narratives and the uh, and any of the any of the outcomes that come from that. And I think you're you're raising an interesting point there. Um, like I was I was actually thinking now, like when you mentioned that you know there's always politics and there's winners and losers. Um, how does this kind of how does this like in your opinion or like based on on the on the paper and your your research? Um, how does this kind of connect with learning? So can people actually have like a participation fatigue in a way? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question, and there was there was one particular. I think the answer the answer is yes. People can become fatigued, and also conflict can be conflict can be a barrier to learning. And to give mm-hmm. an to give to give a couple of examples of that, in one of the case studies that I that I looked at. There was I remember this one this one participant who I interviewed afterwards, and all of the other participants that I'd interviewed had had kind of said uh, how wonderful they thought this workshop had been, and they were saying, "Oh yeah, I learned so much. It was great to it was great to engage in this this process of imagination and creativity and thinking about how the future might look." And then this other person that I that I interviewed mm. was quite was quite familiar with doing scenarios processes, and I think had had led a fair few a fair few of these things. And I think I think he himself was a futures researcher, and his response was rather more rather more downbeat in the sense that he just says, "Hey, look, I do these kinds of things." all the time this is my job and and that really he hadn't taken anything more from this workshop than he than he had already than he had already conceptualized himself so yeah in in that sense mm. in that sense the fact that this person was uh, that this person had been doing these kinds of processes a lot it seems that it seems that, that that he was rather fatigued of that and didn't take a huge amount from that from that workshop likewise i yeah. found yeah. several several bits of evidence in my in, in my research that if conflict is if conflict is so great between different people or between different groups that they simply cannot tolerate to be in a conversation with each other then that can that, that can put a stop that can put a stopper on on a on a participatory process and can and can also result in a lack of learning between them but then there's there's a tricky there's a tricky balance there in that uh, in another in another part of my PhD not so much in this this particular paper i i looked at i looked at this balance between conflict and between 
between conflict or between between people who are strongly diverse and distinct to one another and between people who just <clears throat> get on with each other. Because, of course, if you have people that just get on with each other, and I think this applies to other participatory processes as well, is that if people are just getting on with each other, yeah. then they can move very quickly and probably very productively through through a set of activities or or, or through a set of discussions. But if everybody is just if, if everybody just agrees with with each other, then what does anybody actually take from that? You know, I've I've been in workshops myself where I've had a great time and met people that and met some really great people with really nice ideas. But then at the end of it, I've kind mm. of thought, okay, but we all we we all it's a bit like preaching to the choir. Like what 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 do you take home from something mm, yeah. where there is no where there is no dis where there is no distinction, no difference and no no difference in people's perspectives. So it has to it has to be a balance somewhere and where, where that balance where that balance lies, I think will depend depend on depend on the aims of the participatory process that one is going through. Uh, and indeed on the context of the people that are are involved Mm. in it yeah true um and and if if i'm gonna continue a bit on that um have you have you been thinking about what's um how how would you say like like thinking about the participation so Mm. if it's remote or face-to-face or a mixture Mm. Have you found like are there any kind of differences or any points you should be kind of focusing on? Yeah, this this has been quite interesting over the past the past year or so, as we've we've all moved more or less from from a team oh. from a face to face from a face to face approach, whether that's to teaching or to facilitation of participatory processes or both. Uh, we've shifted very much to an online or a mixed online and face-to-face model. And on the one hand, I've found that that is quite frustrating and sometimes sometimes just ends up lending a voice or lending a platform to whoever is most, whoever is most confident in speaking up. And that that's true of face-to-face <clears throat> meetings as well. Mm. But you, in face-to-face in face-to-face meetings, as a facilitator, I think one has one has more control to some extent in that you can take somebody aside and have a conversation with them uh, one-on-one, or you can you can you know use body language or use use different. Use different tools and strategies to to manage the relations between different people. Whereas in in when you're doing things yeah. online, you lose that, yeah. and that's this is maybe maybe a little bit off topic. But one of the things that I think you really lose from a learning perspective is is being able to sit down with somebody at dinner and have a quick conversation about how things have gone during the day and what they have taken from that and to kind of hammer home any points or discuss mm. any any tricky issues that they have that they have been facing 
So those are the negative, those are the negative things I can think of. But then also, and again, this is speaking to participatory processes generally, rather than just to scenario planning. There's also there are also opportunities for subverting those power dynamics because you because you have different ways of engaging, right? So if people are if people are all face to face, then mm. then somebody who is let's say very very introverted and doesn't want to speak up, it's very difficult for them to pipe up in a room where you have four or five other people who are all shouting at each other, but if you are on you're on your laptop, mm. you've got that kind of you've got that kind of barrier between you and the other people, and you have different ways of engaging, like writing questions in the chat or writing points in the chat, and also and also doing things in a I guess a more anonymous way, in that you can there are various things like Mentimeter where you can do surveys and and input get input from different people without them having to without them having to to show their face almost and so yeah i think i think there's there's, there's a real there's a real balance there between between what you lose you certainly lose a lot from not doing things face to face but you potentially if done well and if thought through well and planned properly then you also stand to gain a few things through doing doing things online as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think it's like really interesting to hear like how how you see this uh, from from your perspective and from the perspective of PSP. I mean, exactly like it's not black and white. Um, yeah. So, and I think that's a. That's, uh, I mean, there are so many other topics we could kind of dive into with regards to the paper. Um, but, you know, there are time limitations as well, unfortunately. Um, but in, in Cloud Reachers, we always end the interview or the, or the episode by asking, okay, so are you ready for this? So um, who or what would you consider as a Cloud Reacher in your field? Yeah, that's an that's an interesting question, and I guess I guess my I, there's 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 two ways in which I can define my field. One is one is specifically with regards to scenario planning, and another is with regards to participatory processes more generally. So I think if I if I if I start by if I start by thinking about scenario mm. planning, and that's there's a lot of crossover there as well. I think some the people the people who I would say I people who I would say I really yeah. admire and think are and think are doing a, a a brilliant job with scenarios with scenarios work are people that are people that are either or applying it to to real world issues have and have really thought in great detail about how how one can take an imaginative process of thinking about how futures might develop and learning about the systems uh, the systems that one is within and how they might develop 
and then integrating that into into action research into into policy frameworks uh, and into in, indeed into their own personal actions i think are, are great so there are people especially people working on the I, ipbes work mm. i think that have, have been have been great on doing that which is around biodiversity and and ecosystems and developing frameworks developing frameworks around uh, around around biodiversity and ecosystems effectively and i think uh, uh, there's another another group of people or or a, a kind of another section of people that i think are doing really brilliant work are people that are integrating these kinds of participatory scenarios processes into education uh, so there's a guy called there's a guy called Joost Vervoort who's at I think Utrecht University in the in, in, in the Netherlands. And I I recently I recently attended a brilliant a brilliant workshop mm. by some of his students. And as as part of their course, he had tasked them with developing developing scenarios for for specific challenges around the world. And some of and I and I think that 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 integration of yeah. the integration of these kinds of thinking processes into education are really powerful because the skills around learning about systems and learning about how things may develop in the future and also around learning to see things from other people's perspectives or or learn, learn, learning how to interact with other people's perspectives and other people's interests and ambitions for the future, I think are really powerful skills uh, skills for young people to be to be developing. All right, um, really, really inspiring. Um, thanks for sharing, Sam. Um, and and before before closing words, um, for those of you who are wondering. Um, so just just want to mention to everyone out there that Tommy had uh, technical difficulties um but he's okay um he didn't he wasn't angry or anything at any point um but <laughs> but yeah so um so you just heard an episode where we discussed a paper titled Applying Pedagogical Theories to Understand Learning in Participatory Scenario Planning. And our guest today was Sam Poskit from University of Reading, the lead author of the paper. Thank you so much again for joining us and sharing your thoughts. Thank you very much for for having me and for for listening to listening to my thoughts. It's been a very a very pleasant experience. <laughs>